Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Impressionable with me, Becky Lee. As I am recording this, I'm a bit sick. Sad. Um, But I'm only telling you this because I was also sick during the podcast recording when I did this about a month ago. And you can tell basically so please excuse that the show must go on as always and i don't know if you saw any of the videos but you can tell there too uh but nonetheless on with the podcast this is with the incredible elisa and we talk all about her research into the incel community i think it's a really balanced and nuanced approach to the subject and i hope you find it just as much as just as interesting as i did uh and yeah i hope you enjoy and i'll see you soon oh please also share it and rate it and you know all that good stuff Alrighty, see you at the end. Bye. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Impressionable, the podcast where we try and decipher the ways in which we've been influenced by the world. This week, I am joined by Elisa Chewinski. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Becky. It's been lovely. Oh, no worries. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay. Um, I am cold. I think a lot of us are cold at the minute. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we're we're powering through hot water bottles and blankets and tea. Fun time. Yeah, just whatever we can do to stay warm at at these times, we have to try it, especially since you're not from the UK. No, um, this is a very different climate to Canada's weather. So it is, yeah, it's been, it's been a time getting used to it, but I feel like, give me like maybe five more years and I'll be used to English weather. Fair enough. Um, So for those that don't know you, could you introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, of course. Um, So I am currently doing my PhD at the University of Manchester. um, And I met Becky at Cambridge when we were working on the Mayball Committee together. Um, So for the last, oh my gosh, I guess it's been seven, seven years, um, I've been doing research on the incel community. um, And a lot of my degrees have focused on criminology. So I presently hold a BA honors in criminology and criminal justice and psychology from Carleton in Canada, um, and then a master's in criminological research from the University of Cambridge, Wolfson College. And now I am a second year PhD in criminology at the University of Manchester. 
And then beyond that, um, I also do a bit of teaching. So I'm a TA on several courses, one at Imperial College uh, relating to security and behavioral science, and then one that is an offshoot of the University of Manchester, which looks at trust and security in the digital age. So lots of research background there. You're a busy woman. (laughs) I know. I'm tired. (laughs) I have to tell you, um, when people have been asking me about the podcast and any good episodes that are coming up, I mentioned that you're coming on and they're like, I can't wait for this. This is going to be amazing. So I'm really excited to get started. I'm excited too. I hope I live up to the hype. I'm sure you will. The first question that I ask everyone is, what is something that has made an impression on you recently? Um, You know what? I was on Twitter a few nights ago and somebody I don't think it was somebody I was following it was just like a tweet that I think somebody I was following had followed them and they I screenshotted it because I was like this is really cute um and really just just resonated with me um it was the user at sad 13 and they were like I can't stop thinking about this bell hooks coziness manifesto and it was a screenshot of bell hooks's um the opening chapter or the opening paragraph, rather, um, of the chapter Women Artists and the Creative Process in Art on My Mind. And it was just talking about, like, the importance of being at home in your body with the fabrics that you choose to wear and things like that. And it just got me thinking about, like, coziness and the importance of just feeling good in what's on your body and what's around you before you actually start writing. And I never really thought about it, but I'm a person who does most of my existence now in a sweatsuit I am wearing one today like a fleece lined sweatsuit because it's just something that makes me feel the most myself and the most cozy and I think it puts me in a really nice headspace to sort of get the creative process flowing and bell hooks does a much better job than I could ever like hope to with describing that feeling but it was just something that I was like I didn't really think about it. And then it just sort of sat with me and I was like, "Mm, I do sort of do that without thinking about it. And I feel a lot better when I'm in clothes that just, you know, make me feel cozy and make me feel more me, which is fun, a little fun read. I love that. That's so interesting because these are things that sometimes you we do um without you know unconsciously doing them, like you've been wearing them for a while, but it's nice that you were able to engage in it in a different way yeah it was really nice and it's just the ritual of sort of like how do you how do you sit down and be the most productive but also the most creative self which like I don't think about because I just do work like I sit and I work and that's it and to actually take time and just be like "Mm, you know what I do sort of I put on an extra pair of socks I put on my fleece line tracksuit like and then I feel ready to get into my work but you don't really question it until it hits you so it's a nice little thing to read yeah, that's lovely. So on to your work. And the main reason that you're here, because you do such interesting um, and also important work. Um, but I want to make it like give as much context as possible. So you spoke about researching incels. But I just want to know to start off, like, what do what is an incel? Yeah, of course. Um, so I think the the common part of the the incel that we see today and what we're most familiar with is a man 
preferably a straight man um, who often veers misogynistic and will post online saying that, you know, they can't get sex um, and, you know, they hate women and that sort of thing. Um, but it's a lot deeper than that. And I think there's a lot more nuance to the definition than what's going around in the mainstream right now. Um, so previously, an incel was defined as somebody who just struggled with um getting a romantic or sexual partner, regardless of their gender. Um, and it wasn't really tied into the men's rights sphere. It wasn't really tied into misogyny. Um, it started, it was coined in the early 2000s by a queer Canadian woman who went to Carleton, which is a weird connection that I didn't know I had. Um, and, you know, she was sort of struggling with finding a partner and she created this really bare bones listserv, like the early days of the internet, which like we were all coding at that time, making our own HTML template websites. Um, and, you know, she created this space for anyone, regardless of gender, of sexual orientation, of ability or disability status, race, regardless, any social characteristics to just come together, talk about what they were experiencing and sort of help each other out. And she initially abbreviated the term involuntary celibate, which was what she described herself as, to invcel. And then one of the forum users was like, actually, incel is a lot easier to say. And they went with that. So it became... This little community, which is very tight knit for anybody to just sort of find solace in, to find advice. Um, and then I think as the internet shifted toward a lot more edgy and extremist content, um, we sort of saw a shift away from that original community. Alana had left, she found a partner for herself and um, she'd given control of the site to somebody else. And then you know, that we're not really sure how it evolved, but um, based on, you know, the early 2010s and that sort of shift toward Chan culture, toward Reddit, um, it sort of blossomed from there. Um, so if, if you're thinking about it in a bare bones way, an incel is somebody who defines themselves as involuntary celibate. So they are unable to acquire a romantic or sexual partner and they've tried. That's a key part. So they've gone out, they've approached people, they felt rejected um, and they haven't been able to. It could be because they don't have social skills. It could be because, you know, they're lacking in physicality. You know, they, they're just not the most attractive person. It doesn't really matter. It's just that they have attempted to enter into a romantic or sexual relationship and they haven't been able to find somebody yet. Um, however, now we're seeing that the term has been associated with a very, very vocal, but subset of men who really are, are latching onto some ideology around this, um, some very anti-women, anti-feminist ideology, some very nihilistic ideology as well. Um, and are then just sort of giving the whole term, giving other communities that fall under the term incel a very bad rap. Um, so yeah, that's sort of a very long-winded explanation there. It's it's so interesting though, because I feel like in kind of public consciousness now, incels kind of indicative of misogyny, whereas the roots of the communities are actually really wholesome and supportive. Um, so what what inspired you to research that that type of person of an incel um and yeah let's start with that question how did how did you get to do the research yeah um so i actually took a course just after donald trump was elected called the sociology of trumpism when i was in third year of my undergrad 
Um, and I think like a lot of people, I was just trying to figure out what went wrong. And I didn't really have the education at that point to look at all the historical factors, the cultural factors that have sort of paved the way for the rhetoric that Trump was spewing to really take heed with a lot of working class men and women in the US. And, you know, we all thought I went to bed, Hillary Clinton was winning. I was like, sick, this is fantastic. And then a lot of us woke up the next morning and we were like, oh, this is this, what, what does this mean? Um, so that course was really a way for me to understand that. And we had a project that was looking at, um, you know, how Trump's rhetoric is influencing things online. And I came across beta male communities on Reddit um, and r slash the red pill. And while I was doing that, um, I focused my paper on the red pill and looking at, you know, anti-feminist and anti-women discourse within that and how it mirrored Donald Trump's speeches. An offshoot of what I was seeing on r slash TRP was r slash incel. Well, in cells. And I was like, what is this? What is this space? So I was seeing a lot of screenshots about men you know, being very, very upset with women, um, posting like graphic threats of violence, um, some that still stick with me because they were the first things that I like actually saw from like random people on the internet who were just like, I, you know, I hope she dies and here's how she should die. Um, and I just sort of fell down the rabbit hole of, of lurking on Reddit and being like, what is this? how do I understand this as a woman who's interested in researching communities that are incel adjacent? Um, and then though I didn't write my paper on that, um, it was sort of in the back of my mind where I was like, I don't, I've never heard of this before. I don't understand what's going on. I want to understand what's going on, but like, I don't really know how. And then I sort of had the opportunity to do an undergraduate dissertation. Um, and the researcher that I was working with was looking at, um, she looks at sex work and she looks at the criminalization of sex work and also um, stuff to do with like uh, digital advances in sex work. And I was like, that feels like a good person to approach with this idea. And um, it was just, it came out of just an interest. I just wanted to know, who they were, why they were upset with, with women in general and how they sort of got that way. And then since then, I've just, I've been chasing that question ever since, I think. I wanted to ask you all of those questions as well. So hopefully you have some answers. Um, but I just want to start with, yeah. um, even just language wise, you've mentioned like um, beta or like red pill or like Chad. What do these all mean? Is it many different subcategories of people that are united under one umbrella or how can we understand it better? Yeah, so I think the easiest direction to point everyone is to the concept of the manosphere. So the manosphere is an, an existing network of internet stuff. So blogs, YouTube channels, um, independent forums, spaces on Reddit, communities on 4chan that all sort of talk about issues related to men's rights and you know, just men's issues more generally. So you, the manosphere, like anything else, because it's such a broad catch all, you'll have a spectrum of different conversations and different behaviors. So you'll have um, some groups that, you know, like father's rights activists who are campaigning for um, having equal rights in the court process and in paternity issues. Um, but then you'll have some more extreme content, which is, I think, where a lot of my research interest fits into. So 
Um, you'll have a ton of different groups within the Manosphere. Um, some of them will adhere to different ideologies, different logics. Um, a lot of the communities that are associated with, unfortunately, with the more extremist end, um, follow the pill logic. So the red pill is something that's been taken from the Matrix, where, you know, Neo has the option to either take the blue pill and continue living his life in, in delusion, or he can take the red pill and be, like, awoken to the reality of the situation. And in communities that follow pilling logic, taking a certain pill means that you are no longer brainwashed into what society says you should do, but you are now awakened to the reality that is, you know, women are not the best. Women have been elevated at the expense of men. Um, in the red pill in particular, it talks about, you know, women are very manipulative and women are constantly trying to, you know, date up in terms of men. They're constantly trying to get resources. They're constantly trying to get the best man that they can. And then, you know, they're very fickle. A lot of the feminine stereotypes that, you know, we've heard for years and years. Um, and then the incels take it a bit further following the black pill, which is, you know, women are bad in a nutshell, women are bad and society is organized in a hierarchy that, is based on attractiveness and women are responsible for this hierarchy. But also because we believe that we as incels are unattractive, there's nothing we can do to sort of change the hierarchy. Again, that's a very basic overview. Um, but there are lots of different groups that exist within the manosphere. So again, you'll find beta males, you'll find um, traditional conservatives, you'll find, you know, the red pill, um, you'll find MGTOW, so men going their own way who just swear off women for their own benefit. Um, you'll find men's rights activists more generally. But then again, you'll also find, you know, YouTubers, vloggers who are actually talking about like, pressing issues for men. So suicide, um, mental health crises, you know, again, parental rights, um, equality for men and, you know, the general sense that men are feeling a bit lost in today's day and age. So there's a vast, vast uh, amount of content and communities that exist within that space. Yeah. And I can imagine that they exist on all like ends of the spectrum because those, you know, campaigning for equal paternity rights are much different from the uh, I guess the red pill guys that are like women are the worst things in the world and um at, at what point does the misogyny like really come in and how how does that intersect with that community in a way that it becomes harmful I think it really depends on the community that you're looking at if we're talking about incels specifically I think um there's a lot within you know misogynistic incels beliefs that really predispose them to sort of have that aggressive misogyny that we've seen um you know be memeified in pop culture and also be talked about more broadly now um so with the black pill you know they've they've created this worldview that says that women are responsible for creating this social hierarchy that ranks people based on attractiveness so as you said you mentioned chad's earlier chad is basically your stereotypical alpha male very hegemonically masculine when you think of like a, a stereotypical manly man, that's who Chad is. He's successful. He is attractive. You know, he's got sexual prowess. He's rich. Like, you know, he doesn't even need to try and girls just flock to him. So you've got Chad and his female counterpart, Stacy. So you're your stereotypical woman who is, you know, sort of 
not the brightest, but very physically attractive. And, you know, those gender stereotypes play into that top tier. You've got Brad and Becky, who are like the less attractive counterparts to Chad and Stacy. So like still up there in terms of attractiveness, but just not as attractive, like maybe a seven or eight out of 10. And then you've got your normie tier, which is like everybody else. And then at the very bottom rung, you have the incels themselves. And these men often feel that, you know, they've got a wealth of personal and physical characteristics that just really work against them when they're trying to procure romantic and sexual relationships, whether that is, you know, um, physical disabilities, mental health issues, social anxiety, um, but also like, you know, odd physical characteristics. So having too small of a chin, being too short, you know, having shorter limbs, having very limp wrists, not having any muscle. Those all sort of place incels at the bottom tier of the hierarchy. Um, And women are said within the incel community to date up in terms of attractiveness. So you've got all women from the normie tier up trying to date chads which means that there are no women for the incels to date because they're constantly striving for something higher, which leaves them without anyone. And they're, they're very resentful of that because, you know, they, they feel that women have created this, this hierarchy in society that they don't benefit from. Um, And then, you know, you can use when you've got a worldview like that, it's really easy to take a very nihilistic approach and be like, well, because this is how the world works, we can just sort of, we, we don't, we don't have to do anything and we can blame women. We can say, okay, I've tried to improve myself, but because it's a physical characteristic, I can't change it. And because the way society is structured by women, I also can't change that. So I can blame women for my predicament and sit back and just, you know, let misogyny unfold. Again, not to say that all incels are like this, but when you've got um, a community that centers around a worldview that essentially works to frame women as responsible for their suffering, it makes it really easy for you as somebody who feels that they're, you know, left out of being able to date and being able to get sex from somebody. Um, It makes them, you know, feel that somebody has to be responsible and it's easier to blame and scapegoat women than it is to reflect back on you know, society as a whole. And it's not just, it's not just women creating this hierarchy. It might be a patriarchal thing, but you know, it it is, as we've seen historically, it's a lot easier to scapegoat somebody than it is to address structural issues of, you know, patriarchal heteronormative societies. So that's where a lot of the misogyny can stem from. You've got a worldview that just sort of lays the groundwork. And then you've got in addition, a community that all sort of believes this logic that just continues to pile on. So it's it's very easy to to get drawn into that and to perpetuate it as well. A hundred percent. Because, you know, when you were speaking, I was just thinking about how I see the patriarchies perpetuating all of these issues. Like choices aren't made in a vacuum and for women, even if their perception is that women like marry up or whatever, it's because they're taught to do so. You're taught that you need to seek out a certain person to be able to survive or you ought to be with this person or you ought to be with that person. So like, because I'm a woman, I'm like, this is patriarchy. This has nothing to do with me just like you know hating men and making choices that are completely um 
um oh what's the word when you're like oh I lost the word a uh, superficial you know what I mean I'm not trying to be I'm just yeah. I'm just existing and I've been socialized as much as anyone else have but I think you're right about mm -hmm. how it's so much easier to place a blame on someone that makes you feel powerless or that someone that's rejected you than to be like okay actually there's a full system here that you know really doesn't benefit me it doesn't be benefit anyone but also I feel like it's upsetting because like women suffer under the patriarchy just as much as men do if not I mean I believe more so but there's there's the groundworks for like unity you know but um but it just doesn't happen yeah no and I definitely think like there's there's a lot of anti-feminist rhetoric happening not just within the manosphere but just generally and I think you know some of some of the complaints are warranted where we've seen a lot of women be uplifted but men will feel that they don't get that same uplifting sense particularly with issues of mental health and they sort of feel a bit shafted because you've you've seen all these women get you know we're we're an equal opportunity employer we're diversity hiring and then men are sort of like okay i am no longer at the top anymore where do i fit if i am no longer at the top or at least the preferred sex how does that how does that work for me and you've got a lot of men just sort of feeling very lost and you know really disillusioned with the idea of feminism because it has in at least public feminism been seen to elevate women over men which is definitely not what it's about we've i feel like the public has sort of lost the plot with what feminism was meant to be and it seems that it is performative and very much like we're going to make advancements for women like every girl can do things but then we don't really talk about men and men are still suffering so it it's very easy to see how if constantly you're on twitter you're seeing campaigns online that are elevating women it's really easy for you to go hang on what about me where do i fit and then sort of turn you know, resentful of that because there's no publicity for men. Yeah, 100%. And I think although misogyny has always been there, um, especially, you know, within the 50s and, you know, the early part of the 20th century, but the internet hasn't always been there. And as much good as the internet has done as propelling issues forward, um, and, and I also think there's an issue now with polarization because I think, misandries on the rise as well because women are fucking angry and they have a right to be angry um but then obviously because you have so much more discourse about how women can hate men it just you know the mm -hmm. the gap between the discourse just widens oh yeah do you um do you find that there's a lot more talk about women as feminists online yeah, I, I definitely see it in the community itself. I think um, feminism is is used to explain a lot of injustice within incel forums and sometimes on, you know, manosphere forums more generally. Um, I remember when I was coding for my master's, I think it was, um, there was a whole thread on one of the popular incel forums where um, I think it was, it was after a... A teacher in the U.S. had had like a you know an inappropriate sexual relationship with one of her high school students, and um, there was there was a lot of talk about you know how 
how if, you know, if this was flipped, if this was a man having an inappropriate relationship with his female student, the consequences would be so severe. And then they sort of dogpiled in the comments, bringing up other cases. And they were like, look, you know, um, this, this guy um, was trying to approach a woman and like, she reported him to the cops. He was just trying to say hi. And this is the, the type of shit that feminism breeds. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And you can't even you can't even say hi to a woman without like her calling the cops. And we've seen that narrative a lot play out, not only just on social media, but like in real life as well, where men have reported that they they feel they're not really sure how to interact with women anymore. Um, so we're seeing a lot, a lot more discussion of of what feminism has led to and what feminism is responsible for, albeit not all accurate you know you've got men on incel forums who are claiming that um feminism has you know created a society where where it's it's women's choice and all this stuff and women have all this agency and and men are at the will of women and they can't do anything which like it might seem that way but i i would argue that everybody's oppressed in a different way we've all we've all got intersecting characteristics that create different axes of oppression um, so you are finding a lot, a lot more of that. And I think as we move toward, um, more conservative and far right ideologies as a society, as we're sort of, you know, getting a bit disillusioned with certain political parties and, you know, just the status quo as it is, I think people are more drawn into, um, a lot of anti-feminist rhetoric because it's, it's popular, but it also gives them something to blame. 
And I think that's something that we see a lot, um, not only in the man's sphere, but on incel forums specifically. It comes back to that ideology and that, that aspect of scapegoating. So feminism is just another reason that women shouldn't hold power. Because when we give them power, look what they do. They ruin things. So why why should we give them rights when they ruin things? So it comes back to that logic as well. Damn. Um, as you know, as a woman yourself, how do you stay positive and how do you stay safe when researching and you know, yeah, researching these things? Because I'd find some of it really, really upsetting and confronting. Yeah, I think it's weird because I used to go on, especially in undergrad, I think it was because I was young. I was like, this doesn't impact me. Like I got into criminology because I was interested in not necessarily the gory stuff, but like I I started my career because I wanted to criminal profiling and I ended up down a completely different path. Um, but I think because I was so used to reading case summaries and I was you know, reading about people who had done really vile things, I was like completely fine with looking at the the content that I was seeing within um, the incel forums during my undergrad. And then um, in my master's, I think with the pandemic as well, it's sort of, I didn't have the support system that I needed, um, particularly at college. You know, there's a lot going on um, at Cambridge at the time. You know, there was a lot of uncertainty around whether international students should be allowed to stay. um, And a lot of my close female friends went home. So I had, you know, I had friends at college, but a lot of them were men. So I was constantly being surrounded by men online, men offline, And because I didn't have the support, like, regardless of gender, I didn't have a support bubble there. My parents were back home. I was living through a pandemic. I was dealing with trying to submit my dissertation on my own with no guidance, moving to online, like, just not being able to go outside because the government wouldn't allow you to. It was a lot. And I think that um, the master's research really impacted me in a way that Um, I don't think I'm totally over. And it wasn't that the content was different. It was that I just didn't have the protections in place for myself, even though it looked like I didn't need them in undergrad. I think I did. (laughs) And it sort of accumulated to a point where it came to a head when I was just about to submit my dissertation. Um, So I went through a period of, of, you know, second guessing the men in my life of being like, okay, well, that sounds sort of misogynistic. Are you online? Are you on these forums? And I know it's very irrational, but when, you know, again, when you're lacking a support system, when a lot of your daily routine has been taken away and the world is very uncertain, it's really easy to fall into those traps of logic. Um, So for going forward, um, I've tried my best to do like a more support system within academia. I found a lot of researchers now um, compared to when I was first starting out who are doing similar research, whether it's looking at other extremist groups, other manosphere groups, um, you know, potential terrorism and security issues or looking at incels themselves. Um, We've sort of made our own little network um, and our own community where we can gripe about things, where we can discuss what we saw and have people understand Um, I think one of the things when you're researching sensitive subjects, um, whether it's abuse, extremism, terrorism, anything of that nature, is that you can't sort of offload onto like 
the general public because it's traumatic and you can't, it's like a, a therapeutic debrief. You can't sort of go, I can't go to my parents and be like, here's the graphic death threats that I read today. What do we think? Like it's, it's not okay. So now I've got this support network of researchers um, who we all look at the same things. We're like, oh yeah, I've come across that. It's just, it's stupid. It sticks with you. It's stupid. Try to let it not stick with you. Um, so that's been really, really helpful. Um, and then also just taking time to like, at the end of the day, not talk about my work and try my best to not think about it. Um, I tend to do a lot of activities outside of academia that are not related to anything that I'm researching. So whether it's, you know, binging, um, Bake Off, Love Island, any reality TV just takes any any thought out of my head. That's the best bit. Um, going out for walks and then also like baking. I do a lot of baking around the holidays. So that's been really helpful um, with, you know, starting second year and starting data collection. Um, but I think to the point you made about, you know, being a woman and researching this topic, I have found it um, a bit a bit different compared to the men that I've spoken to who also research incels. I was having, when I started my PhD, I was having a meeting with John Horgan, who is a massive name in terrorism studies. Um, and he is currently funded to do an incel like review for um, the US government, which I don't know if it's going ahead because it happened through Trump's presidency and funding was a whole issue. But we were talking about um, his experience gaining access to incel communities. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, um, when I, you know, they, they just sort of, they just chat with me and like, they, you know, they, they might yell at me at e on email and like, they've got my email and then we'll sort of have a conversation about it. And like, at the end, they just, they sort of want to just make me see their point. And I've heard this, this from a lot of male researchers who are like, yeah, you know, they just want to have a conversation with me. They want to sit me down. They want to explain where they're at. And then they want to see if we can sort of come to an understanding. Whereas with women who are researching this topic, I have not seen that. I've seen it with, you know, some, some ex-community members who are just trying to justify you know, how they were part of the community and sort of minimize their potential involvement. But with active members, I haven't seen a lot of women researchers go, oh, yeah, they just want to chat. Um, I've heard people, you know, say that they've been threatened with doxing. Um, you know, they're concerned about publishing as a woman because they don't want death threats. They don't want their papers to be spread on incel forums. Um so it, there is like a, a big gender difference in terms of access, in terms of, you know, being able to approach and also in terms of the reception by community members themselves. It's a lot easier to um, have a man who might be sympathetic to your cause go in and interview you. For example, um, there was a recent, uh, is it an ITV or a Channel 4 documentary on incels themselves? Um, it was published in The Guardian as well. I can't remember what it's called, but it, it was made by a man and, you know, I haven't watched it yet, but it sounds really interesting. Um, and I've seen a few pieces come out that have been investigative journalistic pieces where men have done interviews um, in comparison to when Gia Tolentino wrote a piece for, I think it was the New Yorker back in like 2018. She got lambasted on incel forums. Like her name was everywhere. Her picture was everywhere. They were picking apart her appearance. Meanwhile, you know, you've got 
men who are just able to go in and do that community research because it feels safer to them. It feels like somebody who's on our side. And I'm not saying that all, you know, all community members are going to be hostile. They're not. You'll have a vocal minority of members who will be. Um, but it seems that there's more more of a fear when you're a woman who's researching people who don't like you versus when you're a man who's researching people who don't like women. You sort of have an in as a man, whereas as a woman researcher, you, you're a bit more concerned about um, the potential consequences, which is, you know, a bit unfair, but it is what it is. Yeah, it's, I mean... It's unfair, but I kind of get how they would feel like if it's a man, then they have a common ground, you know, or like, oh, he'll get it because I'm sure he's experienced what we've experienced too. Um, but in, in regards to the community, mm-hmm. again, what you're saying about levels of engagement and just the overall makeup of the of the kind of the manosphere, I assume there's levels of engagement and is there any sort of like commonality and demographic or is it anyone and everyone? I think, you know, there was this this broad assumption that when the incel community was first gaining traction in the mainstream, that it was just white, cis, hetero men. And it was very like, ooh, this is white, white male rage. And it sort of came around at the same time that Donald Trump rose to power, right? So, you know, you've got um, Trump supporters who a majority were white, but not all. And you've sort of seen other manosphere communities come about at the same time and get prominence in the public general public sphere. Um, so for a long time, people were like, yeah, it's just, it's white men being angry online. Um, that's not really the case anymore. So there's been a few studies and a few surveys, um, internal surveys from the moderators of popular incel forums that have shown that, you know, it, it is still a predominantly white community, but not by much. Um, you know, maybe you'll have around 55% of members identify as white. Um, but beyond that, you're seeing a lot more ethnic minorities be part of this. Um, so you'll see as well within forums that, um, men who identify as ethnic minorities will refer to themselves as ethnocells or, you know, some variation of that as well, where, um, you know, if, if they are a black man, they'll identify themselves as a black cell. Um, if they are South Asian, a curry cell, East Asian, a rice cell. So you've sort of got those identity markers there um, to show you who may not be white. Um, but at this point, like, I, I feel like it's such a vast community, especially because it's an internet-based one. You've got people from all over the world. So the major incel forums are predominantly English-speaking, but you've got people from across the globe who are part of those. And then the smaller forums and Facebook groups that exist beyond the English-speaking realm. Um, you know, you've got French incel forums and French Facebook groups, Italian incel forums, Russian incel forums, Japanese and Korean incel forums. Um, so they are they are quite widespread. And I think, you know, the the logic has resonated with a lot of men who are who are trying to to make meaning out of how they're feeling with the way that society is going right now. So it's not just white men. It still is a majority, but not as much as we thought. Everything you're saying is so interesting because I think as well, like in public discourse, the perception is like a lonely 
cis white man. I don't know why I have this perception that they're all American (laughs) in my mind because I think of Trumpism. It's a fair perception though, because if you think about the popular cases, a lot of them are American, right? So um, I've done some work looking at how we conceptualize who is and who is not an incel murderer or an incel um, killer, because there's been a lot in the terrorism discourse recently about how we can identify men who have incel sympathies or spew incel rhetoric. Um, And, you know, a lot of the cases are from the US and Canada, unfortunately, a few more from Canada um, as well. So I think the the most the ones that probably come to mind the most are Elliot Roger, who was not wholly white. Um, he was white passing, but was an ethnic minority as well. And Alec Manassian, who again passes as white. Um, and you know you have Jake Davison in the UK recently, the Plymouth um, Plymouth shooting there. Um, So you've got a lot of this imagery around um, the white lone male attacker, which is very easy heuristics to sort of recall. And also, I think it it does happen a lot more frequently in North America, particularly in the U.S., um, maybe due to gun regulations. I don't want to get into that, but (laughs) most likely because, um, you know, weapons are more easily accessible. Um, so a lot, a lot of our memory is just white shooters, um, which isn't necessarily always the case. Um, and it's not when we're looking at instances of mass violence that have happened in the offline sphere that may have been potentially impacted by incel rhetoric. Um, you know, those aren't reflective of the wider community base. So while a lot of our references might be white men, the community itself isn't just those men. So lots of variety there. 100%. Um, And where do you see it going? Like, do you feel like the community will increase over time? Do a lot of people leave that join? Or what's the future? I think... You know, I think it's it has been growing recently from what I can see. But I think a lot of that is because people are interested in knowing more. Um, I think with any online community, because it's asynchronous communication, it's like Reddit. You know, you'll have some people who join and they're like, this is the best thing ever. I'm going to be part of this community for a long time. And then all of a sudden they just stop posting and you're not really sure why. Um, So I think it'll... It will, you'll see fluctuations. I think when, um, you know, when attacks happen or, you know, if there's a big report published by, you know, a think tank or somebody, a government agency, you'll see a lot of traffic to those spaces because people are interested. People want to figure out what these, you know, what the ideology is, whether it's something that speaks to them. They may make an account. Um, You know, they may post for a little bit. They may just lurk. They might just, you know, want to read what's on there. And then they might go, ah, this isn't for me and I'll leave. Or conversely, they might be like, you know what? I'm going to try my hand, see if I fit in, post a few times and then decide it's not for them or they'll continue on. Um, but as of as of yet, we don't really have any clear understanding as to why people leave and when they leave. There are some communities um, that are focused on leavers so there's r slash incel exit, which is something that I'm looking at for my dissertation, um, where people who identified as incels previously, not necessarily misogynistic, but anyone who fit 
the incel label um, and has moved past it or is interested in moving past the label can reach out to help and also, um, you know, post about their experiences. So there's more and more communities like that popping up. Um, but again, it's we're not really sure on how widespread it is. For now, it seems like it is a contained internet phenomenon, but that doesn't necessarily mean that those feelings aren't there for people who aren't part of those communities. Um, so you could have people who identify as incel who aren't part of online communities. You could have people who, you know, just don't, who are incel, but don't identify with the labels. So there's a lot, there's a lot of nuance to it. Um, again, I think membership is going to increase or traffic is going to increase after, you know, large events, whether it's um, a publication or a mass shooting or a mass killing spree. Um, but like any other community, it'll, it'll sort of, you know, have its ebbs and flows. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I just wanted to ask you as well, leading up to the final question. Um, how easy is it for someone to be radicalized? How easy for someone that starts off um, just maybe just involuntarily celibate and looking for a community and then ends up down the rabbit hole? Like, how is does that happen frequently? And are there algorithms that can support that? Or do people just find their own way there? I think it's a mix of both. Um, so for my PhD, I'm sort of looking at personal stories as to how people came to be involved in the community. And there's been a lot of research on, you know, pathways that lead people to extremist views and pathways to radicalization. Um, some good, some not so good. We've had a few studies come out about um, YouTube and YouTube content being pushed, especially like incel content being pushed to people. Um, I can't remember who it was by, but there was um, a bigger study that was looking at um, certain suggested videos and found that incel content was often suggested by YouTube, um, especially if you were already sort of looking in that vein, whether you were looking for, you know, misogynistic content, men's rights content, it was sort of there as well. Um, I do think that, you know, it, it really depends on the person. And I think there's a lot of personal factors as to whether someone will, um, you know, end up radicalized, end up agreeing with those views. Um, one of the, the enticing aspects of the incel ideology is that it is so nihilistic and also so um, blameless on the individual themselves where, you know, they've got these personal characteristics that society says are not worthwhile, not going to get them laid, not going to get them to fall in love with somebody. Um, and they can sort of take back or take a step back and be like, well, I'm not responsible for this. And it's a very attractive ideology because it removes the blame from that person. Um, and it also, it's very easy to sort of say, okay, well, if you're already dissatisfied with how things are in society, let me present you with women as the problem. It's, it's very easy to just scapegoat women and generalize and be like, well, you know, you're already feeling this way, the answer or the, the reason rather, not the answer, the reason that you're feeling this way is because women. Um, and I think, you know, when, when you've already had experiences of rejection, when you're struggling physically, if you're struggling with mental health issues and suicide, um, you know, if you are struggling with your appearance and trying to just 
you know, get into a relationship, um, especially if you're on the older side, you know, we've got so much pressure for men, especially young men to lose their virginity at a young age, to constantly be having sex, to constantly be rotating partners. If that doesn't happen for you, it's really easy to want an explanation as to why. Um, So those men might be a bit more suggestible because they've had those personal experiences that have already knocked their confidence. Um, so again, I think, I think it's a mix of both, um, in terms of, you know, radicalizing men, it, it depends on the personal experiences that you've had, whether, you know, you've struggled for years with not being able to make friends, not being able to, um, enter into romantic or sexual relationships, but then also if you feel that you are lacking and inadequate in some way, it's going to open you up to look for a reason why. And again, if, if you are a straight man, and you're looking for, you know, a woman, it's really easy to turn around and go, okay, well, it isn't me because it's things that I can't change. It's women more generally. Um, But that being said, you know, we do have algorithms that are pushing extremist content. We've seen that a lot. Um, We've seen, you know, Facebook pushing more far right content. We've seen, again, we've had a few studies about YouTube pushing incel related content and misogynistic content. Um, So I think in the current day and age with, you know, we're seeing that trend toward um, extremist content being pushed to the general public, but also in a current climate where men are sort of feeling lost, it's really easy to fall into that radicalization trap and identify with communities like that. Yeah, a million percent. And I feel like we've come full circle um, back to where we started. Um, But the final question that I'd love to ask you is what impression would you like to leave on the world? Ooh, that, that's a a very difficult question to end on. Um, I think, I think I've got two answers for you. Um, In terms of my academic career, I think I want to just, I want people to, to fight to understand things and to come at their research in an inquisitory way rather than you know, I have a goal of selling a story in this way. And I'm not saying that that researchers do that in any way, but I just, I really hope that my students in the future come away with a genuine interest in the things that they are researching. I don't want people to be doing research because they think they have to. I started out doing it because I wanted to understand. I was a woman who, you know, came across men spewing hate online toward all women. And I wanted to understand why that was, how I fit into that as a woman, and also how we could work to change that from an intersectional feminist angle. Um, So I think I just, I really hope that I can at least, you know, help one student maybe to just view the world in that way. I think that would be like a great thing to leave on. And then in my personal life, I just want I want people to feel seen, I think, in the same way. I want, you know, the people around me to just feel that somebody, you know, knew them in in an accurate way. And I just, I hope that people take that when I'm gone. Sounds very morbid, but like, you know what I mean? No, that's so, that's so lovely. I I think that you're going to achieve all that and you're such an inspiration because I was so keen to get you on the podcast because I think what you do is so important even though that you know there's risks with doing the work 
Um, so, so thank you so much. And I just wanted to ask also if people want to reach out, can they, or is this like a bit of a closed conversation? No, they can definitely reach out. Um, if you want, you can direct them to my Manchester email, um, and, or LinkedIn either, or, um, but I, I love talking about this. If anyone has an interest in, you know, doing research, my specialties are virtual ethnography, netnography, and then any qualitative stuff as well. Um, I'm also a huge proponent of ethics in the digital sphere and also ethics relating to sensitive subjects research. So if you have questions, if you want to learn more, um, if you know, you're looking for specific resources or articles, I can direct you to those hopefully maybe so you can definitely share my manchester email and linkedin and people can get in touch well i trust you so <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure that everyone has a your email if they need it and um, thank you oh, so okay. so much honestly it's such a joy and even though the subject matter can be a bit dreary um it's so illuminating and also like so interesting, but yeah, a bit harrowing at the same time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad I could do this. And I hope that, um, I hope it made sense and resonated with someone at least. Thank you so much again to Elisa for being on this episode with me. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to rate it five stars and tell other people about it because that's how it gets into more people's ears. And who doesn't want to listen to Impressionable? Okay, now that I've stopped being cringe, I hope you have a lovely couple of weeks and I will see you soon for another episode. Bye! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.